What food items were once so exotic that during the days of the Roman Empire only the very rich could afford to import them? N. Name the only males in the animal kingdom who undergo pregnancy and give birth. Really? <laughs> who are those poor souls? I mean, how, how, how wonderful to be given the gift of life. Answers to those and other questions coming up today on this episode of The Off-Ramp with Bob and Marsha Smith. Welcome to the Off-Ramp, a chance to slow down, steer clear of crazy, take a side road to sanity, and get some perspective on life. Well, Marcia, that question of yours already gave me new perspective on life, <laughs> that there are some males of species yes. that give birth. Yes, there are. And, and obviously, you can't name it. Is that what you're telling well, me by can, your... Is it, are they mammals? No. Um, are they some kind of fish? Yes, they're from the sea. Okay, yeah. what are they? Out of the entire animal kingdom, male seahorses and their close relatives, pipefish and sea dragons, <laughs> are the only males in the world that undergo pregnancy and give birth to their offspring. Wow. Yep. Unlike most fish, they're monogamous and mate for life. I didn't know that other fish fooled around on their I spouses. had no idea. But that tells you what goes on in dark places. It does. <laughs> the guys carry the baby for 45 days. They get off real easy. Oh, okay. 45 days. They have... But do they have Lamaze classes? That's my question. No, they, they have something better. <laughs> breathe, breathe. <laughs> Please, Bob. Okay. <laughs> they have something better. It's called a brood pouch. Sounds like marsupials yeah. there, yeah. The female puts her unfertilized egg into his little pouch, and then uh, he... He fertilizes and, uh, it? He fertilizes it. And carries it around. It. 45 daisies later. <laughs> 45 easy days later is what you were going to say. Yes. <laughs> Nothing to push out or whatever. It's just there, you know. Good grief. Males always find a way to make it easy on themselves. Oh, come on. Be nice. All right. Well, we are finding uh, many, many interesting facts here, so I'm learning like crazy. And I learned that there was one food item that was once so exotic that during the days of the Roman Empire, only the very rich could afford them. And uh -huh. this is one of your favorite foods. Me? Really? Yeah. Lobster. They carried lobster with them everywhere. No. Oh. Pickles. <laughs> Pickles are pickles. good. The Romans imported pickles from Spain, but originally they were from northern India as cucumbers, of course. The name pickle appears to be a combination of the Dutch word peckle and the German pockel, meaning brine pickles. So anyway. That's very interesting. All right, my turn. How much saliva does the average human produce in a lifetime, Bob? Again, where do you get these things? <laughs> In a People. lifetime, how much saliva have I produced? Is it in terms of gallons? Yes. Or hundreds of gallons? Gallons. Really? Okay. Yeah. In uh, your lifetime, Bob. I know, well, I know, in my lifetime. Just think about it. I have to go back to my very early days to do a lot of saliva, days I don't remember. I don't know, uh, 100 gallons. That's a fair guess, okay. but 10,000 gallons. Oh, good in Lord. The, in the average uh, lifetime. 10,000 gallons? Yes, yes. And speaking of gallons, the average human body contains how many pints of blood? Oh, how many pints of blood in the average human body? Pints, it's not gallons then. Right. 
Hmm. Ten pints, uh, which is one gallon and one quart. That's all the blood we have in That's in, in it. And men usually have 10 to 11, and women are closer to 10. Pints of yeah. blood. Yeah, and there's eight pints in a gallon, so you're talking about uh, a gallon and a quart. Hmm. Fascinating. It is fascinating. It's a lot less than the saliva we produce. <laughs> okay, I've got a little interesting statistic here, and I'm going to ask you the question. You know, as the coronavirus hit in the spring of 2020, what did the website Etsy sell more of than anyone else? Etsy sold more of something than Masks. anyone else. Masks. That's exactly right. How many do you think they sold? A million. 12 million really? so masks. Yeah. You remember back in April, the Wall Street Journal had a headline, richest country in the world can't get you a mask. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Etsy stepped in and filled the void, doing what conventional supply chains couldn't. They were founded 15 years ago for homemade crafts. Mm -hmm. And in early April, they rallied their troops, mobilizing 20,000 sellers Who within sell? days. Who could, Who could sell? sell? And then 60,000 sellers total by the end of the month. So wow. in all, they sold 12 million masks in April alone. See that, and that's how we got our first mask. Yeah, uh, Chelsea's friend Willow Moon of, of Willow Moon Studios. She sold it, and so, she sells them on Etsy. Yeah, so yeah. do lots of other people. In fact, there were more than one million mask selections to choose from on their site. Walmart only had several hundred. Wow. And the reason they could sell it is because they didn't have a problem with the supply chain. They didn't have to worry yeah. about factories right. and shipping and everything because its supply chain is... People Direct. working in their homes yeah. or workshops yeah. or studios. Just have some fabric and ship them out. Amazing. 12 million masks Etsy sold in April in alone. In April alone. That's yeah, very 20, interesting, Bob. 20. Okay, Bob. If there's two things I know, you love trivia and the Beatles. Mm -hmm. So which Beatle received extra protection in Montreal during the group's first North American tour because of death threats? Really? Death yeah. threats to... Would that have been John Lennon? No. Not Ringo. Yes. Really? Why was why did Ringo get death threats? Cuz this group, this hate group incorrectly thought Ringo was Jewish. And so he had death threats and they had to put extra protection on him. Can you imagine? Jeez. Okay. Okay, here's a little bit of a long-winded question. Okay. Mexico's royal Aztec leader Montezuma consumed great quantities of it. Napoleon carried it with him on his campaigns. It's been taken along on U.S. and Soviet space flights, and Sir Edmund Hillary took some with him when he climbed Mount Everest. What food item are we talking about? Well, we've already used the pickles, haven't we? It's not pickles, March. <laughs> I know you want it to be pickles. You want everything to be pickles. Of course, they would take pickles with them. No, that's not the answer. Well, would it be something to keep them from getting scurvy or something? No, it's not like that. Okay, uh... Spam. <laughs> no, no, not spam. <laughs> okay, again, Montezuma yeah. consumed great quantities. Napoleon took it on his campaigns. What Space is, flights, what Mount Everest, chocolate. Really? Yeah, oh. chocolate. In 1519, the Spanish conquistador Hernando Cortez introduced chocolate to the old world. He took it from the new world, right? Uh-huh. Mexico's royal Aztec court, Montezuma, toasted Cortez with chocolate and permitted him to watch it being made. And Montezuma drank 50 golden goblets a day 
and always drank a big beaker before entering his harem because he believed that gave him strength. He thought it was an aphrodisiac. Oh, for God's sake. Napoleon thought he needed quick energy for his soldiers, and he carried it with him on his campaigns. Well, that's uh, something, too. Though. So when did, how old, I wonder, Montezuma, would he, when he died how, with all that chocolate in him? Well, that's not the reason he died. He died because <laughs> they killed him, but 1519 <laughs> was the date. But, yeah, so even Edmund Hillary took chocolate with him yeah. when he went to Mount Everest, and chocolate's been in outer space. With Russians and uh, Americans. Okay, Bob, name the smallest country in the world. The smallest country in the world. Isn't the Vatican considered a country in Italy? Yeah. That's it? (laughs) All right, I got it. Vatican City. Yeah. It's a country in Europe, and it's 121 acres, and its population. 121 acres. And its population is 825, and it's designated as a country. So amazing. On to itself. Here's an interesting question. How did the Bible, a 1666 London disaster, and modern building codes lead to a computer term we use today? Make sure crash. Make sure this is turned on. Uh virus protection. Yeah, uh, another uh, word for it. Um the term is firewall. Oh firewall, of course. Now, that originally meant something very different. It meant a wall made of fire, not a wall to keep out fire. And it goes all the way back to the book of Zechariah. God promised to protect the holy city of Jerusalem by forming a wall of fire around it. But several thousand years later, a German Protestant reformer in 1578, he was writing a, a religious treatise. He translated it as a fire wall, and that's what it's been called ever since. And in 1666, after the Great Fire of London, the Flemish merchant proposed constructing fire walls to protect warehouses. Firewall, walls made of non-combustible materials, would prevent a fire spread, and that idea caught on in modern building codes even. Ah. So when did it come into the computers? (laughs) 1970s. Ah. Yeah. I don't know. I just thought that was interesting. It is interesting. It's used everywhere. It's used in politics, too. We have to build a firewall around this. And it all came about originally from the Bible. Let's go to something more fun than firewalls. Okay. In poker, Bob, what are your odds of getting a royal flush? And that's something that uh, Kohler does not make (laughs) (laughs) for bathrooms. All right. Your mind would go there. Yeah, you know. What the heck? No. A royal flush is just the top five cards of the same suit. 10 through ace. Ace, king, queen, jack, 10. All of the same suit. Hearts, clubs, whatever. Uh, Since there's 52 cards in a deck, I'll just say 1 in 52. Well, no. Oh. It's it's 1 out of 649,740 deals. Holy cow. Yeah. Now, your chances of getting a pair, you know, to anything, two fives, two tens, or whatever, are 42%. So every two or three hands, you get a pair, pair. Uh-huh. but not a royal flush. <laughs> Apparently not, because there's only four ways to get it, Bob. Because there's only one of each suit, right? And at a casino, they have to deal forty thousand times before they deal a royal flush. Wow! 
It's called The Unbeatable Hand. It sounds like The Ungettable Hand. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? But uh, I I had to Google to see what happens if two people at the same table get it. And if two people at the table have one, you have to split the pot. Oh, no. (laughs) Oh, what a disappointment that would be. Yeah. To have something, this is only done once every 42,000 hands, (laughs) and you've got it too? (laughs) Okay, Bob. All right. Now, we know that the COVID-19 virus has affected, adversely affected, a lot of people around the world, but the king and queen of England, do you think they've been affected? Well, I don't know. Does the queen have a little drop-down mask on her crown? It just, <laughs> you know, falls over her face It's not about and... masks. It's not about that. Oh, okay. Uh, I don't know. How has it, Bob? They have to lay off employees. Oh, gosh. Now, why would they have to lay off employees in the palaces and stuff? Well, that's because Queen Elizabeth's castles and palaces, the money to run all those comes from tourists. Oh, and they don't have any. Yeah, there's hardly any tourists. The Royal Collection Trust, that's the charity that runs the palaces and castles, it's losing tens of millions of dollars, and its income is exclusively from ticket sales, gift shop sales, and other visitor funds. I didn't know that, really. You know what they usually bring in every year? What? $97 million. But this year they're thinking they're only going to make $16.5 million. This, this year, the uh, Buckingham Palace's tours were closed. They had to cancel 400 temporary staffers. That was just for the opening. Now talks are underway that it would affect 200 full-time employees. Wow. I think you and I discussed this once, mm-hmm. but I don't know if you know the answer yet. How deep is a fathom of water? I think it's 50 feet, isn't it? No. 10 feet? No. Okay, how far is it? Six feet. <laughs> a fathom is six feet? Yeah. Oh, you know what I'm thinking of? It was The Beast of 2,000 Fathoms. That was a movie, a horror movie, with a dinosaur (laughs) underwater, some kind of creature underwater that I watched as a kid. But a fathom is actually just six feet. And the fathom is based, this you'll find interesting, is based on the length of a large man from hand to hand with his arms spread apart. It's six feet generally speaking, tip to tip. Mm -hmm. And when so when you want to measure the depth of water from a boat, Without modern means, you drop a weight to the bottom and measure the line. As you pull it in. As you pull it in. Yeah. And uh, that's how they that's got how Mark Twain is from that, too. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Fathom sounds like it's so much longer, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. That's unfathomable. Yeah. <laughs> so that shows you where that comes from. Yeah. It's so deep you can't even quantify it. Okay, I have got a question about a company that just announced they're going into bankruptcy. This started in 1818, the famous Brooks Brothers clothing brand. Now, for more than 200 years, they dressed presidents and business tycoons. What was the most famous fashion item they pioneered? I'll say it, the button-down shirt. They did. That was one of their inventions. Was it really? Yeah, yeah. And that, that, interestingly, comes from 1896, uh, one of the grandsons of the founders was at a polo match, and he noticed the polo players' collars were buttoned down to prevent them from flapping in the wind. So Uh we brought that back, and they introduced the button-down polo shirt, they called it, but it was basically like an Oxford shirt. I'll be darned. But this is not the first thing they did. The first thing they did was they invented ready-made suits. Before then, you had to go in and be measured for everything. Yeah. It was in 1849, and they introduced it for the California Gold Rush. All these people are racing to go to California to make a fortune. And they started advertising suits ready-made for the California trade. They wanted to make it easy for those heading west to outfit themselves in full suits of clothing without needing to endure the time-consuming process of being fitted 
multiple times by a tailor. Who would have thought? I thought, hey, you're going to California. You're going to put the grubbiest clothes you got on, and you're heading out west in a covered wagon. I didn't think of these people taking suits. suits. But that's where the suits off the rack concept came from. It was inspired by the gold rush. Wow. Who would have guessed? Yeah, who knew? (laughs) Okay, here's one. Why did Yankee Doodle call a feather macaroni? Okay, I just read about this the other day. Did you really? Yeah. Back in the 1760s, macaroni was slang for the stylish young men who frequented a fashionable new English hangout, the Macaroni Club. Oh, really? Yeah. It was named after a popular food that had just made its way from Italy over there. Everybody, it was all the rage, macaroni. So So the Macaroni Club was in England then? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, So when Yankee Doodle stuck a feather in his cap and called it macaroni, he was identifying himself as a dandy, the hipster of his time. (laughs) Isn't that interesting? Yes. Uh, There's a macaroni club. (laughs) All right. We'll take a break and be back in just a moment. You're listening to Trivia on the Off-Ramp with Bob and Marsha Smith. All right, we're back. Marsha, you know you're getting old when one of your rock and roll favorites has turned 80. Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) Now, Ringo Starr just turned 80 this July 2020, but another 80-year-old rock and roll star is releasing his latest album. Now, here are some hints, okay? Is it Mick Jagger? No. Okay. This fellow was 18 years old and on the bill with Buddy Holly the night Holly died, but he couldn't afford the $36 plane oh, ticket. Oh, God, I used to know this. He I... also had a period in his career when he wrote what was considered a major folk ballad. He's 80. He's got a brand new album. Who is it? It wasn't Bob Dylan. No, something. it wasn't. No. But okay. Bob Dylan actually wrote the liner notes. Then you got me. Dion DiMucci. Dion. Dion. Oh, I had his records. Yeah, he burst on the scene with Runaround Sue and Teenager in Love. He just turned 80, and he put out a new album called Blues with Friends. Now, who are the friends on his album? Listen to this. Bruce Springsteen, Jeff Beck, Van Morrison, Paul Simon, and Billy Gibbons of ZZ Top. And as I said, guess who wrote the liner notes? Bob Dylan. Well, Dion can pull on the big names, Dion huh? Dion can pull out the big names. Bruce Springsteen, incidentally, said Dion was pivotal in his development as a musician. In fact, songs like Run Around Sue and The Wanderer are why Springsteen added a saxophone to his to own his? band. Oh, yeah. that's so cool. Yeah, I love that saxophone and... Why must I be a And I, I knew that uh, Waylon Jennings was on the bill with Buddy Holly that night and didn't take the plane. Either. But I didn't know that Dion was on the bill, too. He was on that winter dance party. They had all these acts. And yeah. he was 18. He was supposed to get on the plane in Clear Lake that night, but he couldn't afford a $36 ticket, which was a lot of money back then. Yeah. He said that's what his parents were paying in rent back in New York at the time. Wow. So he didn't get on the plane. The folk song he wrote was after Martin Luther King and Bobby Kennedy oh. were assassinated. Uh, something... Uh, Abraham, Martin, and John. John yeah. yeah, 1968. Yeah, okay. What happens, Bob, to your social security number when you die? It's retired. That's correct. <laughs> You're exactly right. You finally retired from life. Your the, number gets retired. Your number, each number remains as unique as the individual. And the first number was issued in 1936, and the nine-digit system has a capacity of creating nearly one billion possible combinations. So, at least for now, they can still give you a brand new number when you're born. We just had a big thunderstorm last night. Yeah. And um, I have a question here about thunderstorms. Oh, okay. How can summer thunderstorms turn milk sour? 
Well, besides turning off the power in your in your refrigerator. It has nothing to do with electricity. Okay, I don't know. It's the conditions that the thunderstorm creates. The formation of bacteria in the humid air that accompanies a thunderstorm. So bacteria converts the sugar of the milk to lactic acid, and that's a summer phenomenon for the most part. Milk is far less likely to turn sour during winter thunderstorms, but during summer thunderstorms, if it's out, it can turn sour as a result of that. Well, who knew again? Who knew? Well, <laughs> that's a good segue from milk to nuts. Why can't you buy macadamia nuts in their shells? Well, aren't they poisonous in their shells? No. Oh. It's crazy. It's because you couldn't possibly get it out of the shell. It takes 300 pounds per square inch of pressure to break the shell. Good Lord. After they're harvested, the husks are removed and the nuts are dried and cured to reduce their moisture. And they go through this incredible pressure they have to put on it to get the shell off of it. The cracking process. Yeah. It's like fracking. You have to frack these nuts to get them open. That's probably why they're expensive. Counter-rotating steel rollers space to break the shell without shattering the nut meat. It's Hmm. very involved. An industrial process to get those nuts freed. That's right. (laughs) Okay, here is a transportation question, all right? When you're driving down the highway, what part of your car is louder than any other? What part of your car makes the most noise? When you're driving down the highway, you hear a noise... Oh, here comes a car. Oh. What is the noise that you hear? Is it the uh, the roadway under the tires? It's the tires. If a car is going faster than 25 miles per hour, the sound of your tires is louder than the sound of your engine. Really? And, Especially today, huh? Wow. And if you get up to 75 miles per hour, your tires can be as loud as 80 decibels. Now, huh. that's as loud as a freight train heard from 50 feet away. Huh. That comes from a Helen Szerski who writes on everyday physics for the Wall Street Journal. The front of the tire slams the road. Air is rapidly forced out of the gaps in the tread. They act like miniature trumpet tubes. At the rear of the tire, air is sucked back into the gaps, and then there's a pop on the tarmac, so it's like a percussion. And when you turn the wheel, the rubber grips, slips, grips again, and it vibrates like a violin string while the sidewalls vibrate like the body of a double bass. So that's how she describes it. It's like an instrument itself. And overall, your four tires are louder than your engine. I thought your engine would be the loudest noise, even though engines are a lot softer today than they were when we were kids. Yeah, very much. In fact, how often do we get out of the car and forget the engine is still running? Don't say that. Nobody else does that but us. (laughs) Well, I'm going to finish up with just uh, quick questions about the Beatles' final U.S. tour. After their last concert on their final U.S. tour, which Beatles said... That's it. I'm not a Beatle anymore. John Lennon. No. Oh, George Harrison. That's right. Yes, George Harrison. What extra item did John bring on stage for the Beatles' final U.S. concert? A camera. That's right. Yeah, I knew that. He wanted to take pictures. Yes. It's like, can't you guys hire a photographer? I mean, no kidding. That's what I thought. Uh, Okay. Uh, What venue in what city did the Beatles play their last scheduled concert? Hmm. The last city and what venue? Not in the, not the United States. Yeah. Oh, yeah. so it was in San Francisco as yeah. Candlestick Park. Well, bravo, Bob. See, you are a Beatle person. Okay. The final song played by the Beatles at this concert in America. Was it a new song at the time? No. No, it wasn't. No, no, no. It was a, an oldie. Yeah, it's was an it oldie, She Loves You and, or something like that? And it like wasn't that? their own. What was it? Long Tall Sally. I'll be darned. That's how they finished up their whole tour. 
They loved old rock and roll. They grew up yeah, on old well, rock that's, and roll. Yeah, it is. Okay, a show or two back, we did some state mottos. Uh-huh. I think Eureka was one we did that was a one-word one. That was California, remember? Several other state mottos have one-word mottos. Okay. I'm going to give you some mottos. Tell me the states you think they belong to. Okay. Okay. That's a good Forward. Question. Forward. That should be an easy one for you. Yes. Your home uh, state. Wisconsin. That's correct. <laughs> Friendly. Uh... Pennsylvania? No. Only a very confident state would just have a thing like friendly. Indiana. No. Very confident. Very confident. Very, I don't know. Or very cocky. Yeah. New York. No. Texas. Uh Aha! So you'd think Texas would have a big bragging statement. Yeah. It's like friendly. Yeah. (laughs) We're Texas. Hope. Hope. uh, Vermont. No. Hope. Don't know. Very small state. Very little. Tiny. Tiny. Tiny, New Hampshire. Rhode Island. Yeah. I don't know if they're hoping to get bigger, bigger? or hope or what. That's funny. Okay. Okay. Now, two of the bigger states have ones that talk about uh, going forward in a different way. Ever upward. Mm. What state would that be? New York. New York. That's right. And north to the future. <laughs> north to is the future. Is this a northern state? It's a northern state. It's is a very it? northern state. Okay. So uh, is very, it like a- Very, very northern state? I'll say Alaska. Alaska. Okay, it's Alaska. I got two, Bob. I got two. There you got them. That's pretty good. Okay. Uh, and there's one state that has the motto, same motto as the United States, in God we trust. What state is that? Oh, is that, that's one of the eastern states, that's right? That's correct. Is it Alaska? Uh, one of the very hot eastern states. Hot eastern states. Very, very- Southern eastern states, southeastern, southern eastern states, Florida, Marsh. Okay. How many different types of hints do I have to give you? I didn't think it was that far down. I thought it was one of the early. In God We Trust is Florida's motto. You know what? I'm going to start asking you state birds next time. That's okay. You could. It's kind of fun, though, you know, to find out about these things. I've got another state motto that is weird. This is very odd. I'll read it, and then you have to decide what state it's from. The life of the land is perpetuated in righteousness. Oh, forget That's not going to fit on a license plate. <laughs> it's not Utah, is it? No, it's not. It's nowhere you would expect. It's not like where the Mormons are. It's not where Christians necessarily came. It is Hawaii. Really? I don't know where that came from, but it is a long, long slogan, and it doesn't quite roll off the tongue, does it? Say it it? again. The life of the land is perpetuated in righteousness. That's the official state motto Uh of Hawaii. I've got a couple other that are kind of funny, okay? Sure. It grows as it goes. Well, that's pretty weird. (laughs) (laughs) What state has it goes as it grows? Can you tell me what they're talking about, what they're growing? I don't even know what they're growing. Oh, okay. I'd have to look it up. What I'd part have to of go. the Southwest? Oh. It grows as it goes. Okay. New well, Mexico. New Mexico. Huh. She flies with her own wings. <laughs> <laughs> That's the state motto of Oregon. Really? Yeah. Well, they're still, they fly a lot over there, literally and figuratively. Okay. If you see a pleasant peninsula, look around you. <laughs> Is this? This is where you, ca- you used wow. to live. Well, we both lived there in our younger years. If you see a pleasant peninsula, look around you, because we have two. Oh, it's Michigan. Yeah, it's Michigan. I added that we have two. That makes (laughs) it make sense. And uh, just so you know, while we are officially an English-speaking nation, state mottos are in multiple languages, English, Latin, Spanish, and more. So there. (laughs) Thank you, Bob. Well, that's all the time we have for today. That is Trivia, and this is Bob Smith. And the significant other, Marcia Smith. (laughs) More significant than me? 
perhaps. I <laughs> guess so. You're right. And this has been The Off-Ramp. Bum, 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 bum. We got music going, Mark. Okay. Yeah, music's playing. <laughs> we don't need to sing. All right, fine. Okay. The Off-Ramp is produced in association with CPL Radio and the Cedarbrook Public Library, Cedarbrook, Wisconsin.